Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, January 26. Get rid of likes and dislikes. They only agitate the mind and prevent one from seeing things as they really are. Instead, practice inner contentment, santosha in Sanskrit. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, which is where this teaching actually is also expressed in a much more much more complete and, what should I say? The word I wanted to use was cosmic, but this little book is pretty darn cosmic in a lot of its places. But the Bhagavad Gita, which is the, the ancient and modern, simultaneously the timeless expression of Sanatan Dharma, which is the basis of these teachings, there's a verse in which it talks about um, attraction and repulsion, revulsion. Attraction, I think attraction and repulsion is the word that's used because you either attract or you try to repel. And it talks about um, aversion, that's the word I want, attraction and aversion. And it, it talks about the importance of overcoming attraction and revert, aversion. But it also comments that we're not talking about, and this is what Swami talks about, we're not talking, Swami talks about in his commentary on the Gita, we're not talking about ordinary likes and dislikes. Because if sometimes people here get rid of likes and dislikes and you get you get very confused about what that actually means. And we start becoming well in the Catholic Church, because they've been at this for a very long time, they actually have a word for it and it's called over scrupulosity. And sometimes in the history of their convents and monasteries, you would have some sincere um, aspirant living in there but they would become overly scrupulous in their, um, in their self-concern that every little thing that they were doing was somehow displeasing to God. Early on in my spiritual life, I, I began to fall in that. It just, I began to feel, if I, if I liked it, that meant that God didn't like it. It was just, I just sort of made an exact parallel based on the, this premise, overcoming likes and dislikes, but a confused understanding of it, which is what I'm trying to straighten out here. And I remember Swami Kriyananda, and the word pleading always comes with me because I think he was trying so hard to break through my just sort of stubborn mental confusion. And he, he, I remember him saying to me, God does not necessarily want you to be unhappy. He says, that's your idea. That's not God's idea. But it was a it was the overscrupulosity of, of hearing, try to overcome your likes and dislikes, or in the, in the Catholic monasteries, it's to suppress the ego, that if I'm inclined toward, God must be against it. And that was what Swami was wanting me to understand. We're not always wrong. So even this idea to overcome our likes and dislikes really needs to be put in the context of attraction and, and aversion, not just ordinary likes and dislikes. Swami... Swamiji, I used to cook for him a lot, and he, as a child he had colitis, and a lot of his um, diet, he was a lot of dietary restrictions were imposed upon him, 
And he just, uh, he, he was always a, a little bit frustrated because his own diet was out of his control and various things like that. So as an adult, he had preferences. And in fact, he finally would put it like this, I am a picky eater, is what he said, you know, which is what you would say to a child. You're such a picky eater. He says, I am picky. He says, and I just am like that. And I had all these theories about what was, if it was good for you, it was good. But I, I learned to cook completely to his taste. I never really knew how to cook, and so I started cooking for him, so I learned to cook to his taste, which was really quite simple. But he had specifics, likes and dislikes. And I had this dish that I knew how to make that was made out of beets, and it was very good, is very good. And it's, it's in our Ananda cookbook, which is one, it's called uh, Simply Vegetarian, is our Ananda cookbook. It's, that cookbook must be 40 years old now. It's still a solid selling cookbook. Every recipe in there is good. It's a very good cookbook. So I kept telling Swamiji that I could make a good dish out of beets. He didn't like beets. He didn't want to see any beets on his plate. But I would insist. Finally, he said, in, in keeping with this, it's not good to have likes and dislikes. He said, okay, fix me the beets. So I made him the beet dish. He ate, you know, a respectable amount of it, like a child would in order to get his dessert, basically. And at the end of it, he said, if I were going to eat beets, he said, I would eat them in this dish, he said, but I prefer not to eat beets. And that was sort of the end of it. We never had to go back there again. Now, that's a, it really is a small thing. It's, it's not like his, his first preference was for ice cream and he would never eat a vegetable or anything like that. It was ordinary likes and dislikes. You know, as long as life supports our ordinary likes and dislikes, we can have our ordinary likes and dislikes. But what really binds us is when we, and, and attraction, attachment, I won't use the word attachment because that has other meanings, but attraction, which actually often leads to infatuation, which is the belief that one thing is so superior to, to other things that it and it alone will satisfy me. I must have that car. I must have this spouse. I must have this house. I must have that, this dress. I must have this hairdo. You know, whatever it is where we are so infatuated, which is infatuation is a step beyond mere attraction, where the characteristics of whatever it is that we're attracted to have been completely, the, real, the realistic appraisal of it has become impossible because our infatuation for it is so intense that we can no longer see what's going on. And then as a consequence, if that is not um, delivered to us, then our, the, the, the degree of suffering that we have is equally intense because that item and that item alone, that reality and that reality alone is going to satisfy me. And that is not divine law, because divine law, everything is in flux. We have multiple incarnations. We go through many experiences. We have many lessons to learn. And when we, with our egoic preferences, declare reality, well, it's really simple. Reality always wins, always. I mean, you can struggle and you can resist, but in the end, reality always overcomes wishful thinking. And aversion is just the same, this just terrible anticipation that if this happens, I don't know how I'll survive, I don't know what I'll do. And we, we set these things in our mind. You know, if my mother dies, 
then I just, you know, I don't know how I can go on living. Well, your mother may die. Generally speaking, a mother dies before its offspring, her offspring. So the likelihood is that your mother will die. It would be unfortunate to commit suicide after your mother dies. It would be unfortunate to refuse to live your life after your mother dies. Of course, you can continue to love your mother. It's perfectly natural to love your mother. It would be perfectly natural to, uh, to mourn the loss of your mother, even to weep over the loss of your mother. But we, 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 we can't allow ourselves to become so infatuated with our mother's existence or so um, repelled by the idea of her death that when the inevitable happens, we can't go on with life. That's not what God wants of us. Everything that comes to us comes to us by the hand of God. And it comes to us because there's something something we can gain from it. It's not Life is not merely meant to be endured. Life is meant to be a doorway through which we perceive the divine bliss that is our true nature. And often the way we discover that, is, as it happens, is we don't get what we want. Because if our, our infatuations are denied, and that which we, repels us is thrust upon us, and the, that which we have an aversion to, we are forced to endure, then all of a sudden we discover another level of reality that we didn't know was there. So we can wait until these uh, situations are forced upon us, which is what many people do. We try to barricade ourselves against any interruption to the indulgence of our, not only our ordinary likes and dislikes, but our infatuations and our aversions. We barricade ourselves with money and control or just sheer willfulness, just demanding of reality. There was a, we had for a number of years, Ananda had a, a five-story house in the, the broad, in the Pacific Heights district of San Francisco, way up on a hill with a view of the bay and both the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge. I mean, it was a remarkably wonderful house where 25 people lived together in this 45-room house, and therefore we could afford it. But it was just a, a magnificent structure. And it had this stairwell that went up um, five flights, four flights of stairs, because the fifth one had actually been the servants' quarters, and you had to get to it through a back staircase. It had been converted, but that was how it was set up. So this big staircase that went through the center of the house, the house there was a great deal of hardwood in the house, so the acoustics were terrible, or terrible or excellent, meaning that you could talk and you could be heard in lots of places. So there was this boy who was about four, I think, when he lived there with his parents, extremely strong-willed child, a very fine person, grew up to be a very fine man, but very strong-willed child. And it was about three in the morning, and he was wide awake, and nobody else was awake, and he found this quite annoying because he was bored and he wanted to have something to do. So he climbed out of his bed, and he lived on the fourth floor, I believe, and he walked out into the middle of the staircase on the fourth floor, and with everything his little lungs could do, he screamed into the dark, I want it to be morning! He said like that. <laughs> he, he succeeded in waking up the house, <laughs> but he did not succeed in getting the sun to rise. <laughs> Because when you go against reality, you always lose. And so his 
exclamation for, for decades now at Ananda has been like the epitome of what happens when we think just because I want it, it's going to happen. Now, that's quite distinct from having a God-inspired inclination or a feeling that we should try to accomplish something and by the steadfast application of willpower and determination seek to achieve it, that is actually cooperating with reality. That's recognizing that, yes, of course, I can influence my destiny, but it takes energy and I have to work within the rules of creation in order to make that happen. Those are powerful things that are quite different. Um, but his was just, I'm going to declare reality, and reality by gum is going to cooperate with me. But no, it didn't. So what Swami is suggesting, we, we practice what he calls an inner contentment, and the word for that is santosha. Now here is an extremely important thing you have to recognize about santosha. Santosha, inner contentment, is not passive. It is not, a, oh well, what difference does it make? See, people sometimes think of contentment they don't like the idea of contentment because it means I just sit down on the couch and what's this wonderful phrase? Binge watch that I've heard. You know, just watch, you know, all of season six of whatever it is that you, you enjoyed. Just do nothing but just entertain myself and pass the time. That's not what santosha means at all. Santosha means not to rebel against reality. And to not rebel against reality doesn't mean that you don't put out dynamic energy to, to create within the divine laws whatever it is you feel inspired to express. But if you practice inner contentment, you're much more able to influence the world around you because you're not wasting any energy rebelling against the conditions in which you find yourself. If I find myself without a job, where all my money has evaporated by bad investments, and as a consequence, the people who used to, I thought, liked me, but really just liked my money, have all left me, and I'm right here by myself. I can either lament and rebel and weep and have a tremendous aversion to the circumstances I find myself in, or I can be content with the fact that these are the new rules of the life I have to live. And if these are the new rules, what am I going to do within these rules? And all energy then goes to constructive, positive action rather than into rebellion. And to be discontent with my circumstances is, is to rebel against them, in, in this word, me, meaning the word santosha. That's why Swami gave us the word santosha, because it's a clearer, it's a clearer word than contentment. Because contentment in English can also mean complacency. And we're not talking about being complacent, we're talking about not being rebellious, accepting as coming from God the circumstances in which I find myself so that if I also feel called by God to change them, then all my energy can go toward my positive direction. Okay? So Swamiji says, get rid of likes and dislikes. They only agitate the mind and prevent one from seeing things as they really are. Instead, practice inner contentment, santosha, in Sanskrit. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.